We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 404 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. It is the day on which the Commanders practice week for, shall we say, a big game is beginning. Uh, the 1-1 one one Commanders home to the 2-0 Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday afternoon at 1. Uh, the line for this game per win bed as of very early Wednesday morning. Commanders plus 6.5. And, and believe it or not, the early returns are that the public money is pretty even. Uh, I was anticipating the public to be pounding the Eagles off their 24-7 ripping of the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football, but not so, at least not yet. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Joining me in just a bit will be a special guest, Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. Uh, JP is outstanding at talking commanders, as so many of you know. He is a true insider, uh, very well connected, and we're going to get into a lot with the team off its two games so far in the 2022 regular season, the 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1 and the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in week two, including a lot on the commander's defense. Uh, is defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio getting fired this season truly in play? Is that something that could actually happen? Uh, JP has worked his connections. He's going to give us some intel on where things stand with Jack Del Rio. Also, JP is going to take us behind the scenes on how things are going with quarterback Carson Wentz. Oh, we'll talk about what's happening on the field with Carson. But what about all of the talk this past offseason about Carson's leadership and Carson's coachability and the commanders being Carson's third team in three seasons? How are things going with Carson in the locker room? Uh, spoiler alert, the answer is quite well. Uh, JP is going to tell us about that. JP Finley on the Al Galdi podcast 
coming up in just a bit. Uh, next segment, I do have some thoughts for you on some injury developments for the Commanders on Tuesday. The Commanders on Tuesday placed center Chase Roulier on the reserve injured list and signed to center, signed unrestricted free agent Nick Martin. Uh, also safety Cameron Curl reportedly has been cleared to return from the right thumb injury that had him inactive for each of the Commanders' first two regular season games. Uh, I'll also talk Nationals and Orioles. Uh, you know, I have talked about the parallels between the Nats and the O's over the years. Well, each team on Tuesday night lost, and by a 3-2 score uh, for the Nats on Tuesday night, a 3-2 loss at the National League wildcard-leading Atlanta Braves. Despite the Nats rallying, uh, we had starting pitcher Patrick Corbin leaving his outing after just 12 pitches due to back spasms. Could Corbin's season be done? Uh, I think that that's possible. I'll get into why. For the O's on Tuesday night, a 3-2 loss to the Detroit Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The O's now, the wild card contending O's, are in danger of being swept in three games at home by the Tigers, who have the second worst record in the American League. As our friend, the former Redskins head coach, Steve Spurrier, once said. Not very good. No. No, it's not. Uh, the O's just are not hitting right now. Uh, rest in peace, Maury Wills. Uh, we on Tuesday learned that Maury Wills on Monday night had passed away at the age of 89. Uh, Maury Wills was a shortstop and a third baseman. He played in the majors from 1959 through 1972, mostly with the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, with whom Wills won three World Series, 1959 1963 and 1965. But, you know, for our purposes, Maury Wills was a Washington, D.C. native. Uh, he went to Cardozo High School and he was the MVP of the 1962 MLB All-Star Game, which was played at D.C. Stadium. And Maury Wills was one of the greatest base dealers ever. Uh, Maury Wills, in his Major League regular season career, 586 for 794 on stolen bases, a success rate of 73.8%. And Wills, in the 1962 regular season, went 104 for 117 on stolen bases. I mean, think about that. 104 for 117. That is one of the greatest base-dealing seasons that any player has ever had. So a salute to the skies, for Maury Wills. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Michael King on the commanders, including head coach Ron Rivera's day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon. I did a lot on that presser on Tuesday's show. Episode 403 writes, Mike, I am in West Lafayette, Indiana this week for my 25-year vet school reunion, but still have your show on my phone. Outstanding as always. Uh, well, thank you, Mike. Continues, Mike. Rivera sounds drugged <laughs> or something. Does he not understand his own role? If the coaching and scheme don't stink, then the players and the roster stink. And those things are on him too. So which is it, Ron? This will never ever work, Al. If I am wrong, then that's good, right? Rivera is in way over his head, listening Wednesday and Thursday from Indiana. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Mike. Enjoy Indiana. Yeah, like I said on Tuesday's show, Ron during that Monday day after the game Zoom press conference, uh, which was done virtually and from his office, did seem like distracted. Uh, he was eating during the press conference. I don't remember him having done that before. And he kept looking up <laughs> as if he was watching something. Uh, I do know that the time 
for that day after the game. Monday Zoom press conference was changed, so Ron may have had a lot going on, especially considering that the team had just come back from Detroit the previous day. Uh, who knows? You know, maybe Ron wasn't feeling well. Maybe he had something else on his mind. You never know. Maybe he was just ticked off about the loss at the Lions. Uh, I hope that he was angry about that loss. The entire team should be angry about the loss. Uh, the team in the first half got outscored 22-0. Uh, email from Jake from Kensington, Maryland on the commander's defense. And the issue that I got into a good bit on Tuesday's show, scheme or execution of scheme? What truly is the problem, right, Jake? Love the pod. Longtime listener, first time sending an email. Well, thank you, Jake. Welcome aboard, continues Jake. Uh, after watching the game on Sunday and watching the game back again, I think the defensive woes are largely due to scheme. Jack Del Rio is so scared to get beat that he guarantees that he gets beat. The corners and safeties sit back and are defeated by simple mesh concepts. All receivers are given free releases. Opposing quarterbacks take deep drops and release passes long before the defensive line even has a chance to get to the quarterbacks. Other teams are neutralizing your best unit. That is a 100% scheme. Derek Forrest's post-game comments further illuminate this. He said that it seemed that the Lions knew what the defense was going to do. This is a direct indictment of the coaching staff. JDR has got to go. Thank you for the email, Jake. Uh, Yeah, I talked about those Derek Forrest comments from Sunday on Tuesday's show. Major indictment of the coaching. I don't know how you take those comments any other way. The comments, in case you missed them, Derek Forrest after the game on the commander's defensive struggles in a first half that the team lost to 22-0, quote, it was scheme. I felt like they knew exactly what we were in. It was great offensive play calling, end quote. I mean, <laughs> Forrest literally said, it was scheme. Like, that's what he said. It was scheme. Uh, man, you know, that's a pretty harsh and direct thing to say about what went down in that game, but Derek Forrest said that. Uh, The corners playing off receivers drives me, and I'm guessing everyone listening, nuts, okay? This has been an issue with the team for years. This has been an issue over multiple coaching regimes. I get that you're not going to play tight press man coverage with every corner on every snap, but giving receivers free releases and room underneath is always aggravating to watch, especially because the idea of doing those things is to prevent big plays, and yet this defense isn't preventing big plays. You know, like, doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, Well, what also doesn't make much sense is going with the wrong real estate agent. And so that's why if you want to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you should contact Kellen Hunt. Uh, Housing prices are falling. That means that now is the time to buy. Get with Kellen Hunt as your real estate agent, visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You may be wondering, hey, is now a good time to buy a home given what has been happening with mortgage rates? Uh, the answer is yes. The rates are sidelining buyers, causing high-level inventory, the likes of which we have not seen in years This presents a huge opportunity for buyers. Uh, Think of it like a contrarian approach in sports betting or in analytics. When everyone else is zigging, you should be zagging. Uh, With so many other buyers sidelined, that is causing a major rise in inventory and a major reduction in prices, and so you should be buying. Kellen Hunt understands all of this. He gets that now is the time to pounce. So, pounce. Visit closeitwithkel.com. That's closeitwithkel, K 
K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt has a mastery of the market, but he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting you what you want, no matter your age or situation in life. His website says it all. Close it with Kel. Com. Kellen Hunt is a closer. Kellen Hunt will close you buying the home that you want. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you the buyer get a piece of the action. If you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if anyone who you know is looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, the name to know is Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. And make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit closeitwithkell.com and tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Well, before we get to our special guest, Commanders Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington, uh, let's get into the Commanders news of Tuesday. The Commanders on Tuesday placed center Chase Roulier on the reserve injured list and signed unrestricted free agent center Nick Martin. And the truth is that Nick Martin could end up being the Commanders starting center for this Sunday afternoon against the Philadelphia Eagles at one. We'll see. Uh, Roulier in the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions this past Sunday afternoon left the game with exactly one minute left in the fourth quarter due to what reportedly is a right knee injury. Uh, The fear is that this could be a season-ending injury. The hope, obviously, is that he can eventually be activated off injured reserve later this season, but it may be that Chase Roulier's season is over. Uh, ESPN NFL insider Jeremy Fowler on Monday afternoon tweeted the following, quote, Washington starting center Chase Roulier is in danger of missing the rest of the season due to significance of knee injury per source, surgery considered a viable option, but second opinion coming end quote. Uh, Second consecutive season in which Chase Roulier has suffered serious injury. Uh, Roulier in the 2021 regular season played and started in just eight of Washington's 17 games. He and the loss at the Denver Broncos on Halloween 2021 suffered a season-ending fractured left fibula and suffered damage to his left ankle. Uh, It's tough because Chase Roulier is a good center and Roulier had been very durable. Uh, Chase Roulier became Washington's starting center beginning with the 2018 season. He, from the start of the 2018 season through the 2020 season, started 46 of a possible 48 regular season games. Uh, Roulier in the 2018 and 2020 regular seasons played on every Washington offensive snap. And Roulier in his 2017 rookie regular season actually started seven games for the injured Spencer Long, uh, but Roulier himself missed three games that year due to a fractured hand. So all the best to Chase Roulier. Hope that he gets well soon. Uh, so the commander's first string center, Chase Roulier, now is on the reserve injured list. The commander's second string center, Tyler Larson, is on the reserve physically unable to perform list. Uh, he has been on that 
since August 23rd due to an Achilles injury that he suffered in a loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field last December 12th. The commander's third-string center, guard-slash-center Wes Schweitzer, he for the loss at the Lions was inactive due to a left hamstring injury with which he dealt in the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1. And Washington's fourth-string center from last season, Keith Ismail, is gone. Uh, the commanders on September 5th released Ismail with an injury settlement, and he now is on the San Francisco 49ers practice squad. Uh, the options at center for the commanders beyond Wes Schweitzer had seemed to be Sadiq Charles, Wes Martin, and John Toth. And Martin and Toth aren't even on the 53-man roster. Uh, Sadiq is on the 53-man roster, but Martin and Toth are on the practice squad. But now the commanders have this guy, Nick Martin, uh, who, by the way, is the brother of longtime Cowboys right guard Zach Martin. Uh, Nick Martin was taken by the Houston Texans in the second round of the 2016 NFL Draft at a Notre Dame. This season would be his age 29 season. He was the Texans starting center from 2016 through 2020, and he, over those four regular seasons, missed just two games. Uh, he started 62 of a possible 64 regular season games. Uh, Martin spent the 2021 regular season with the Las Vegas Raiders, but did not register any starts. Uh, Washington last season dealt with a lot of injury with the offensive line. We are only two games into the team's 2022 regular season, but already this is feeling like another season in which the team is going to deal with a lot in the way of injury with the offensive line. Uh, the commander's great offensive line coach, the offensive line sage, John Matsko, uh, he once again is going to have to try to work his magic with that center position. Uh, some good commander's injury news for you. We on Monday morning had multiple reports that safety Cameron Curl has been cleared to return. Uh, he, for the loss at the Lions, was inactive for a second consecutive game due to a right thumb injury that he suffered in the preseason loss at the Kansas City Chiefs on August 20th. Uh, the commanders are set to practice on Wednesday. Head coach Rod Rivera is expected to do a post-practice press conference, so we'll hopefully find out more about how Cam Curl is doing then. And now to our special guest. Thank you to all of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast. Uh, the ratings and the reviews help out a lot. You can rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you can write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. The review can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. Uh, we are only two games into the Commander's 2022 regular season. There is, of course, a lot of football left to be played, but there is a big game for the Commanders this Sunday afternoon. The 1-1 one and one Commanders will begin NFC East play this season with a game against the 2-0 Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday afternoon at 1. Uh, for the Commanders so far, a 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1 and a 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2. A lot to take in, a lot to process, and so I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. He is the co-host of B. Mitch and Finley on 106.7 The Fan, and J.P. is the host of the Washington Football Talk podcast. You can follow J.P. on Twitter at J.P. Finley, N-B-C-S. J.P., it's great to talk to you. How are you? Galdi, I'm good, man. Always happy to come on, and uh, I was just uh, telling friends, like, I listen to your podcast very frequently. So I'm a, I'm a fan of the product, dude. 
I appreciate that a lot, man. Thank you. Uh, I have a lot that I want to get to with you on the commander's defense, but let's start with what I think is a major positive that is maybe getting overlooked with all of the talk about the defense. Carson Wentz through week two of the 2022 regular season is tied for first in the NFL with seven touchdown passes and is second in the NFL with 650 passing yards. Uh, He obviously hasn't been perfect, but I think that we all would have signed up for this through two games entering this season. Are you encouraged by what we've seen from Carson Wentz through two games? Yeah, I am. I I think, you know, I'm encouraged by Carson, but I think I might be more encouraged by the overall offensive picture. Um, I I think they, that offense could keep them in games and the defense might be able to lose some games. We'll see. I, odds are these things will have a tendency to kind of even out over time. But, um, yeah, I, I think if you're not encouraged through two games of Carson, then you just have, and this exists, I think you might just have an anti-Carson bias. Now, is he is he missing some stuff? Or, or, or is it, you know, there are, depending how you want to call the sack fumble safety, if you want to call that a fumble or if you just want to call it a safety, like, I mean, we are looking at, what, four turnovers through two games or three turnovers through two games. It's a lot. Um, but I, I think I, I think physically we all knew he had all the tools. And if anybody's denying that physically he has the tools, then they just legitimately hate the guy, right? Physically we knew he had all the tools. He's put all those on display. But I, I don't argue that, you know, the – accountability, responsibility stuff that we heard. I mean, that's been on, he's handled everything well. And I think that's almost equally as important that any of the kind of locker room leadership stuff we heard from Philly and from Indy hasn't been the case at all. And I'll say that definitively on off record, like in the locker room, talking coaches, everybody loves the guy. And um, I, I think that's really important and if you're looking at how this is all going to shake out. Um, are there some holes you can poke? Probably. Uh, you know, I, I think this team probably be better off if they could run the ball a little bit more and not have to rely on Carson so much. But I think there's a reason they drafted Brian Robinson and he's not playing yet. So, but yeah, if you're, if you're not encouraged through two games, if you want to set like, Bevis will tell me, if you ask me that question, he'd probably say he wants to see a bigger sample or whatever. That's at least a reasonable place to be. But if, if, if you're pointing out negatives at this point, you just don't want that guy to succeed for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And great to hear what you said about the behind-the-scenes stuff with Carson Wentz. Uh, you have covered this team since 2016. That coincidentally was the last time that the team had a truly great passing offense. Can the 2022 Commanders passing offense be better than that 2016 Redskins passing offense? Um, you know, the, it's a good question. I mean, 2016 was to Sean and Pierre and Jordan Reed, Chris Thompson. Um, Honestly, I, was that Crowder's rookie year or second year? That was his second year, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, that team was good. I, I think these receivers are collectively better. But the, the Sam 
sample is so small because we're talking about a rookie and a guy that was hurt all last year. So, like, you don't want to get ahead of yourself and make, like, too bold of a proclamation, especially compared to guys like, I mean, Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson is not a Hall of Famer, but he's probably on that next tier. Um, and Pierre's not, but, like, you know, you, you don't want to understate how good those guys were. I, I mean, it's just funny watching Kirk last night and then watching Carson and, and wondering, you know, who you'd rather have in that great debate. Um, I think I think this, uh, on paper, like, it's still kind of a actual production versus potential thing because that offense went for, I imagine that offense had like 6,000 total yards, over 6,000 total yards that season because Kirk threw for almost 5,000 himself. Um, but where they weren't that good was red zone. And I think one difference with Carson, I'd say, is that they he's a lot more willing to throw tight window stuff in the red zone and, and give his guys chances, whereas Kirk gets a little gun shy and gets a little late. Um, and I'm trying not to be biased based on what I saw and the money I lost with his performance against the Eagles. Um, but, you know, I, I think Carson has a bit of a bigger arm um, he doesn't have the same quick release Kirk does. Carson has a much bigger windup, but I, I think he has a willingness to go get it more than Kirk and more than that offense did. Because if you go back and look at like the yardage compared to the points, and, and I'm driving, so I don't have it in front of me. If you had that in front of me, I, I'd be real curious where they ranked in the league. You know, yards gained versus points scored. Because I, I bet there'd be a decent discrepancy there. Whereas I think with Carson at the helm. They're going to score. And I think when this team gets Brian Robinson back, just ba- like more based on what all the conversations I've had than just what we saw in the preseason, I, I think that'll really help kind of balance things out. No doubt. I mean, the moment in which Brian Robinson Jr. takes his first regular season carry at FedEx Field is going to be some moment, man. I mean, the ovation for him is going to be one of the greatest ovations that any player has ever gotten in the stadium. It really is, and I don't want to. I don't want to get into like false comparisons at all, but I know for me, and I wonder for you, and for listeners, and, and people that have watched this team, cared about this team for a long time. There was such like an awful, I, maybe nostalgia is the wrong word because it has like a positive connotation, but it was it was so easy to immediately think back to Sean Taylor when you heard you know, this, this star young player got shot. And again, these are not compared, like we're not comparing at all because Taylor had already done it at an incredibly high level for a few seasons. And, you know, the word immediately was that Robinson was okay. But like, I feel like there'll be some level of like, thank God this didn't happen again in the, in the crowd response to Robinson. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I, I just, it just seems like it carries a different significance beyond what is like actually a miracle that this running back got shot in the knee and everything's okay. I think that what you said makes total sense. Uh, the Brian Robinson Jr. story is almost like the Sean Taylor story with a happy ending. And another thing is this like legend of Brian Robinson Jr. that has emerged with him having taken on his two attackers and wrestled a gun away from one of the attackers before the other attacker shot Robinson, and now we have this great recovery that Robinson is making. Much more with J.P. Fentley in moments. I'm going to next ask him 
about the commander's defense. Uh, oh, I have some questions for JP about that. But first, I have some questions for you. Have you had a hard time losing weight? Have you perhaps lost weight, but then the weight came right back? If the answer to either question is yes, Dr. Matthew Mintz can help you. Dr. Matthew Mintz is a board-certified internal medicine physician and weight loss expert in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Mintz understands your frustration because he himself has struggled with being overweight. You see, there's a reason that most weight loss programs fail, and that's because the human body has evolved over time to prevent you from losing weight. And while these mechanisms were protective hundreds of years ago, today, these mechanisms just make weight loss extremely difficult. The solution is medical weight loss. By using prescription medications that fight the factors that prevent weight loss, Dr. Matthew Mintz will help you achieve your weight loss goals. And not only will you lose the weight, but you'll keep the weight off. You see, Dr. Mintz does not use powders, shakes, or other special foods that you need to purchase. Instead, he uses prescription medications and personalized lifestyle changes, and he'll give you the support that you need to succeed. Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program includes an initial in-person comprehensive evaluation, blood work, and a customized weight loss plan, in-person or virtual follow-up visits to keep you on track, a full year of phone calls and emails to answer questions or troubleshoot problems, and one year of prescription medications for weight loss. The good news is that many, if not all of these things, will be covered by or reimbursable through your insurance. Dr. Matthew Mintz, he has been in practice for over 25 years. He serves as clinical faculty at the George Washington University School of Medicine, and he is consistently ranked as a top doctor by Washingtonian Magazine. He is a huge Commanders fan and a loyal listener of the Al Galdi podcast. If you are ready to lose your excess weight the right way, find out more about Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program by calling 855-646-8963. That's 855-646-8963. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit drmintz.com. That's D-R-Mintz, M-I-N-T-Z.com. And click on medical weight loss. That's 855-646-8963 or drmintz.com. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Commander's Insider J.P. Findlay of NBC Sports Washington. Uh, Let's get to the Commander's defense. Uh, Ron Rivera, during his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon, made it pretty clear that he believes that execution of the defensive scheme, not the scheme itself, is the problem. In other words, the players, not the coaches, are the problem. Uh, Not stunning that the head coach would say that, but is he right in believing that? I think it can be both. Um, and I'm not trying to cop out here. I, I went through and, and watched some stuff again, and, and you can identify. They, they go out of their way to not say which players they believe screwed up. But if you, you know, if you kind of talk to people that know assignment football and then you watch it again, you can kind of see which players screw up in, in specific situations. Like, I think, like on the DeAndre Swift touchdown, which is just such a joke, where the guy's on his butt and gets up and scores untouched. Like, if you go watch Derek Forrest get caught up with, um, I want to say it was 
a tight end there. Like, if he just crashes down on that like he's supposed to, he's probably breaking that pass up, if not going sick, like house call the other way, right? And he's a young player without a ton of experience, and, and that, that kind of stuff happens. So I, you can go through and find examples on each of Ron, – Ron identified six plays, so it wasn't that hard for me to try to track down the six plays he's talking about. I mean, you and I can come up with a couple of them off the top of our head, right? Like Amon Ross St. Brown busted for 50 yards after you cut it to one score with back-to-back touchdowns. To me, that was the, the absolute killer in that game um, was the, the St. Brown run. But, um, like, yeah, on, on each of the big plays – there are a series of breakdowns that allow the big plays to happen. So, like, if you look at each thing in a vacuum, the, the staff is accurate. Like, yeah, you know, one guy makes a better play here, none of the rest of this happens. So that is accurate, right? But the fact that that happens repeatedly and has happened repeatedly for two years now, that, to me, falls on coaching. Like, if it's a one-off mistake outlier, then yeah, it's just a bummer. Our guy usually makes good plays, but he was out of position here, or he got tricked by the offense, or you know that was a hell of a block. That, that kind of stuff I, I can wrap my head around, but you've been giving up big plays for years. So it's tough that they're always just on the players because something either – and, and, and to me, I, I think we got to look. Everybody wants to blame Jack Del Rio's scheme, and, and I'm not letting anybody off the hook. But like, at, at what point is the evaluation process not the problem here? Like, if if your scheme is right, and it's just your players, I would say repeatedly making relatively simple mistakes. Then, are the players like is is whoever's bringing these players in the problem? Because you guys are bringing them in. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, like, I don't know if that makes sense. It's just, it can't, I get that you can, like, I mean, these guys know what they're seeing, right? Like, they've been in football their whole lives. So when they watch the tape and they'll explain, like, look, if this one thing doesn't happen, if, 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 if this singular event on this, 22 people on the field doesn't happen. It's a six-yard gain, and nobody's worried about it. And that's fine, but it happened six times in one game. And if you go back to last year, it happened pretty much the entire first half of the season. It just shouldn't be happening over and over and over again. And even Jacksonville had some big plays, and certainly had some big play opportunities. So, And the Lord knows what Philly's going to do. You mentioned Jack Del Rio. Personally, I do not think that Jack should be fired right now. I know that plenty of people want Jack fired. We did, though, see Ron Rivera on August 9th seemingly out of nowhere fire the defensive line coach, Sam Mills, the third weeks into training camp. We know that there is pressure on Ron for this to be a step forward season. Do you think that Ron would fire Jack in season? I find it hard to believe. I I know from checking in with people in the building that it's not even close to on the table right now. Um, Like not even a discussion topic period. Um, And maybe, I mean, if things continue like they did in that Lions game, 
and we get past like Thanksgiving and they get, you know, eliminated from playoff contention or something. Um, maybe, but it, you gotta, I would think about a couple of things. Something went sideways with Sam Nilsson and it's fascinating. And, you know, I'm trying to figure it out and there's some weird speculative theories out there, but they're all so unsubstantiated. Um, but it, it, it's that was very out of character for Ron, and, and getting rid of Del Rio would be very out of character. And if you're Ron, you, I mean, some of the maybe it's just because of where we live that we think of everything in like political conspiratorial terms, right? But if you're Ron, you need the cover. If the defense continues to suck, and you want to be back for year four where you've got this offense and maybe if we can just fix this defense, we got a real team here. Um, the cover of Del Rio's dismissal in January, when you say, all right, we're going to rebuild this thing and we're going to go younger and we've got a new scheme, like that is part of your sales pitch for, hey, we're sticking around, we're, we're here. And because look how, look, we finally got our offense clicking, now I just got to fix this defense, we're ready to rock. So no, I, I I don't think anything happens with Del Rio now, and and I wouldn't expect anything to happen until like after Christmas, to be honest. And that's only if the continued struggles are obvious. And I think they've been so bad through two games. And if you look at last year, how bad they were, and then they were able to like tighten things up. I think there are real questions why things have to start so bad before they're able to tighten things up. But if they do that again, like if they follow a similar trajectory as last year where early on they're awful, then they start to play some good defense. I think this offense, rather than having to grind out, you know, 20 to 17 wins, I think all of a sudden you start talking about 33 to 17 wins. And people are like, man, this team – could be pretty dangerous going into the playoffs. So I, I, I think I think it's like it's week two and everybody and the the thrashing, especially in the first half against the Lions, is so fresh and raw on all of our minds that we're kind of we gotta remind ourselves big picture here, fifteen games left, a lot can happen. The Jamin Davis situation, Jack Del Rio at his post-practice press conference this past Thursday afternoon being critical of Jamin, Rod Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday being critical of Jamin, Jamin on Monday on his Instagram with the since-deleted post of a video from the movie Django Unchained talking about people being ungrateful. Uh, The situation clearly is not trending well. Do you believe that Jack and Ron made a mistake in publicly calling out Jamin? Or is calling him out understandable given the lack of production and the potential for the calling out to motivate Jamin? I mean, I don't know, dude. I really don't know. I think, I think, I think they really screwed up last year trying to make him into a Mike linebacker. He's not. And I think they put a lot of unfair pressure on him last year. I'm not going to say it's never unfair pressure by drafting a kid in the first round. All right. Because that's all the, that's all the players want because of the money and the notoriety and the opportunity that brings. Um, but you tried to 
tried to put him somewhere where he didn't belong. It didn't succeed. Now you wonder what will succeed. Um, he, he hasn't been good at the same time. He, he had the nice sack in Detroit early on. Um, he was drafted to be a coverage guy, and, and it seems like coverage isn't a strong suit, at least so far. Like He's got to be able to cover backs. Everybody wants to scream about Christian Kirk week one. Okay, but sometimes that happens. But he's got to be able to cover backs. And if you look at, I mean, just simple wheel route concepts where ATN had him beat for six, Lawrence couldn't make the pass, um, Swift had him beat for six early in that Detroit game, and Goff couldn't make the pass. Um, At what point should coaches be able to call out their players? And is it really calling out when they get asked about the guy? You know, it's not like Jack Del Rio just came to the mic and was like, man, Jamie Davis hasn't given us enough. Like, he got asked about him. And there's a weird thing going on where Davis is, and the media is culpable in this, so I'll, you know, whatever role I play in that. But, like, it's like, oh, this defense sucks. What's up with Jamie Davis? Like, he's not giving them enough, period, for especially for a first-round linebacker. But, like, he's far from the only problem. Uh, the Defensively, they get gashed in the run, and they have spent so much draft capital and actual money at, at the D-line that should be controlling games, and they just don't. There are, there are certainly good flashes, but... They just don't dominate, like, expectations and sometimes, like, we talk ourselves into. And the linebackers aren't good enough. I, I, I think you make an honest case they got the worst linebackers in the NFL. Um, the secondary is not good enough. The, the corners, Kendall Fuller's your best corner, but he's not really, like, a press man guy. And the other two aren't good. I mean, maybe St. Judas is playing well, depending on what metrics you believe. But I test doesn't really make me believe that. William Jackson III, I I think, has been a major disappointment for the money. Um, You know, and nothing's going well. So if you want to make it about Jamin, fine. But I I would say, like, what would you point, outside of Deron Payne's individual performance, uh, nothing, I would say, is really going well for that defense for two games. Not really. Uh, I mean, Derek Forrest played very well in week one, but beyond that, not a lot of positives for the commander's defense so far this season. One more for you. What kind of a crowd do you expect at FedEx Field for Commander's Eagles this Sunday? Oh, boy. So, I expect a lot of green, dude, especially with how the Eagles are playing right now and coming off that big, impressive Monday night win. Um. I think, I think it's going to be pretty close to full, if not full, which I, I'm sure, depending what it looks like, well, there's some spin to say how great that is, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I think you create a problem. Uh, maybe not a problem. But they might not care. They might just want butts and seats. But, you know, the season ticket base has evaporated. And... When you are selling individual game tickets, I, you know, silly fans, you just buy them. Like, it's not, like, this is a silly example, but um, a number of years ago, I want to say like seven or eight years ago, 
Duke football randomly hosted Alabama. And I don't know how the hell that game got on the schedule, but it happened. And basically, I remember when I was reading this article, like Duke football understood that for that game, they're probably going to get throttled and it's going to be packed with Bama fans. But the only way they, they understood that going in, and so the only way you could get tickets for that game where you had to order season tickets. They made that the only game where you couldn't buy individual game tickets. And enough Bama fans just did it. Because they just are maniacs. Like, you, I'm not saying Philly's Bama by any stretch, but like the fact that Eagles fans can just buy this ticket, there's no barrier to entry whatsoever. And that's before you even get to the secondary market. Like, you can just go to... I, maybe they're sold out by now. It'd actually be an interesting exercise. But... I bet within the last two weeks, you could just go to commanders.com and buy tickets to this individual game. And and think about like the promotions they were running for a while. Like they had that 90th, what would it be like 90th um, greatest Redskit commanders promo where you get two game tickets for 90 bucks. Yeah. I mean, Philly fans, they knew this was week three. They knew they'd be in it no matter what. And half of them live here, it seems like. So, and I mean, the Eagles fans are always here. So, yeah, I, I, I'm expecting to see plenty of green on on Sunday. Yeah, it's too bad, but uh, I don't think that anyone is doubting you on that. Commander's Insider, J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. Uh, J.P., I have great respect for what you do. Thanks a lot for your time and all the best to you. Thanks, Goldie. Take care, dude. All right. Up next, I'm talking Nationals. Uh, they on Tuesday night at the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves rallied, but ultimately lost. Uh, also, is Patrick Corbin now done for the season? Uh, I'll get to that and a lot more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, as you perhaps know, Nationals manager Davey Martinez likes to call his players the boys. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, thank you, Davey. The boys. And so when the Nats rally in a game, Davey will say, the boys battled. 
Uh, Davey on Tuesday night did see the boys battle, but he also did see the Nats lose. Uh, a 3-2 loss at the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves in Game 2 of a three-game series. Nats now a Major League worst 51-97, and including 13-49 and against the National League East. Yeah, you heard that right. 13-49 and against the NL East. Uh, but the boys did battle. Uh, the Nats in the top of the ninth trailed 3-1, scored a run off Braves closer Kenley Jansen. The Nats starting DH and number four batter Luke Voigt came up with the bases loaded and two outs, but he then flew out to center field to end the game. Uh, Voigt for the game, one for four with a single and a walk, left three men on base. His walk was impressive. A Voigt in the top of the fourth, a two-out nine-pitch walk despite having been down to the count at 1.12. But the Nats for this game on Tuesday night, just two runs, just seven hits, a double, and six singles. The Nats did work four walks, but the Nats went just two for 11 with runners in scoring position. The Nats struck out 14 times, and the Nats left 11 runners on base. A number of missed opportunities for the Nats. Uh, Ildemaro Vargas on Tuesday night as the Nats starting third baseman and number seven batter. One for four with a bun single and two strikeouts. He left five men on base. He in the top of the fourth with the bases loaded and two outs. Struck out swinging on four pitches. Uh, Vargas in that Nats one run ninth. Did have a leadoff first pitch bunt single off Kenley Jansen on a bunt pop-up uh, toward the right side of the infield. Uh, but Lane Thomas on Tuesday night as the Nats starting right fielder and number one batter. 0 for 4 with a walk and four strikeouts left. Four men on base. Uh, no Nat had more than one hit. Luis Garcia did have a big hit. He was an ad starting second baseman and number two batter. One for five with three strikeouts, but the one was an RBI single. Garcia in that Nats one run ninth, a two out RBI single to right field off Kenley Jansen to cut the Nats deficit to 3-2, and then Garcia had a stolen base. Uh, Joey Manessis on Tuesday night as the Nats starting first baseman and number three batter, one for four with a double and an intentional walk. Manessis in the Nats one run six, the one out opposite field double off the right field warning track, and then Manessis in that top of the ninth Drew a two-out intentional walk. Uh, Victor Robles on Tuesday night as an at starting center fielder and number eight batter. One for four with a single and a great defensive play. Uh, Robles in the top of the third, a one-out full count single to left field. And Robles in the bottom of the sixth with the Nats trailing 2-1 made a terrific diving catch in the right center field gap of a two-out liner by Travis Darneau for the third out. Uh, major credit to the Nats bullpen for what it did on Tuesday night. So Patrick Corbin was the Nats starting pitcher, but he lasted for just 12 pitches. And no, it was not because he got shellacked over his 12 pitches, although you're forgiven if you thought that that may have happened because we have seen uh, Corbin get just romped in uh, very short outings multiple times this season. But no, Corbin on Tuesday night only lasted for 12 pitches due to back spasms. Uh, Corbin, off having been good in four of his previous five starts, lasted for just two-thirds of an inning. He in the bottom of the first sandwich, two outs around a single, and then left the game due to back spasms. Here was Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Patrick Corbin. You know, he got examined. Uh, it's uh, back spasms, so we'll see how he feels tomorrow. Was it something in the bullpen or something we No, he, he threw a pitch and um, tightened up on him. So, you know, we watched him. Uh, he started trying to stretch. We went out there and he said it just it just cramped up on him. He, he couldn't get loose. He tried to get back on the mound. As he was going back on the mound, he said he, he just couldn't get loose. So the smart thing to do is, you know, get him out of there.
Yeah, so I do wonder now if Patrick Corbin might be done for the season. One thing about Corbin is that he has been durable, even through his career just completely falling apart over these last three seasons. He has been durable, and he does deserve credit for that. But the back spasms could be used as an excuse to end his season, with the idea being, hey, you pitched well in four of your last five true starts. Let's call it a season and be back in 2023. Keep this in mind, and I don't personally care about this, but Corbin and or the Nats might care about this. Corbin's record for the 2022 regular season is 6-18. and He could be a 20-game loser, and that may not be something that Corbin and or the Nats would be comfortable with on his resume. So if the Nats want to say, hey, Patrick Corbin, let's call it a season, the Nats could do that here and use the back spasms as the reason. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but I do think that that is a possibility. Uh, but because Patrick Corbin had the back spasms on Tuesday night, a lot was asked of the Nats bullpen on Tuesday night. And the bullpen, for the most part, ended up being good. Uh, four Nats relievers combined to allow three runs in seven and a third innings. Uh, Rosmo Ramirez did allow two runs in three and two-thirds innings. You know, Braves two-run fourth gave up a one-out first pitch, two-run homer to Travis Darno to left center field for a 2 nothing Braves lead. The homer winner projected 422 feet per stat cast. Uh, but Jordan Weems tossed two and a third perfect innings. Uh, Hunter Harvey tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh. And Kyle Finnegan in the bottom of the eighth gave us the full Kyle Finnegan experience. You know, Finnegan's a guy who gives up too many home runs, puts too many guys on base, but also who can look outstanding. And he, on Tuesday night, both gave up a homer and looked outstanding in the same inning. Uh, Finnegan, in the bottom of the eighth, gave up a leadoff opposite field home run to Dansby Swanson to right field on a 1-2 pitch for a 3-1 Braves lead. But Finnegan then recorded three consecutive swinging strikeouts of the Braves' numbers three through five batters, Austin Riley, Matt Olson, and Travis Darno. So you had Finnegan giving up the homer to Swanson on a 1-2 pitch, and then you had Finnegan being dominant in striking out swinging the Braves' numbers three through five batters. Again, Riley, Olson, and Darno. Game three for the Nats at the Braves Wednesday afternoon at 12.20. Paolo Espino will be the Nats starting pitcher. So it's basically impossible to be mad at the Orioles for anything that happens this season. I mean, they have had a much better season than anyone could have ever realistically anticipated. The O's have emerged as one of the more exciting and promising teams in the majors with all of the teams, young players and prospects, uh, that the O's remain in wildcard contention this deep into the month of September still is hard to believe, but the O's are fading. And if they end up not making the playoffs, uh, we may well look back at this ongoing three-game series with the Detroit Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as when the O's truly were out of contention. Uh, the Tigers have the second worst record in the American League, and yet the O's now have lost each of their first two games of this three-game series against the Tigers. Monday night, a humiliating 11-0 loss. Tuesday night, 
a 3-2 loss. Uh, the O's now are 76-71 and 71 and are five games behind the Seattle Mariners for the American League's third wildcard spot. Another underwhelming offensive performance for the O's on Tuesday night. Just two runs, just six hits. Uh, the O's did work five walks, but the O's went 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position. Just four at-bats with runners in scoring position the entire game. The O's now, since getting to 10 games above 500 at 71 and 61, have gone just 5 and 10. And the O's in each of those 10 losses have scored four runs or less. Uh, Anthony Santander, he on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting right fielder and number three batter, 0 for 2 with two walks and a strikeout. Nice to see him draw two walks, but Santander for the month of September has an on-base percentage of just 260 and a slugging percentage of just 386. Uh, Jorge Mateo, he on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting shortstop at number nine batter, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. He for the month of September has an on-base percentage of just 200 and a slugging percentage of just 319. The O's aren't hitting. It's as simple as that. O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night, got asked about the offensive struggles. Here were two exchanges from that press conference. After uh, a few months of playing really, really well, do you think that maybe, you know, guys are, t- guys are tired? And... Guys are tired? Yeah. Well, we're not the only team that has played this many games. I think the league's tired. It's part of being in this, a big leaguer in the end of September. And uh, we got to learn how to push through it. Like guys are pressing a little bit, like trying to make the big hit happen instead of letting. I don't know. I mean, we haven't scored. We haven't scored many runs for a while now, so we need to. We we uh, you know, we just have to get better. You know, a little bit better offensively, and and uh, give ourselves you know opportunities. Uh, but you know, we have we have the ability, and and we're you know nice to see. Uh, Young guys in the lineup today. There'll be a couple more young guys in the lineup tomorrow to get to uh, get some experience. But um, yeah, no, it's just we're we're struggling scoring runs. Uh, yes, you are. Nobody is debating that right now. Uh, the biggest offensive bright spot for the O's on Tuesday night, clearly was Gunnar Henderson. Uh, He is the Orioles' starting third baseman and number one batter, two for five with a two-run homer and a single. Henderson in an Orioles' two-run seventh, a two-out, two-run homer to right field to cut the Orioles' deficit to 3-2. The homer went a projected 409 feet for StatCast, and the homer was Henderson's first home run at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, the first of what I would think would be many home runs for Gunnar Henderson at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So Gunnar Henderson now, since his contract was selected from AAA Norfolk on August 31st, has an OPS of 938. He has a batting average of 319. He has an on-base percentage of 373. And he has a slugging percentage of 565. I mean, those numbers are ridiculous. Just tremendous work by Gunnar Henderson. Brandon Hyde during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on Gunnar Henderson. Takes good swings on strikes. Takes really good swings on strikes. On time with a fastball. And aggressive, short to the ball, swings on on strikes. And he's doing a nice job of laying off tough pitches. He's going to get, you know, he's going to, 
as, as the league goes around, he's gonna he's gonna see tough pitching and he's gonna he's gonna have some tough games. But but right now uh, he's on time with a heater like he showed tonight. He's ready to hit. Um, and he's doing a nice job of laying off off uh, borderliner balls and uh, putting great swings on strikes. Yeah, what a job by Gunnar Henderson. Uh, the Orioles' starting pitcher on Tuesday night was the former national, Austin Voth. Uh, he was good. Voth allowed two runs in five innings. He gave up six hits, a homer, a double, and four singles. He had three strikeouts versus no walks, and he threw a lot of strikes. 62 pitches, 46 strikes versus just 16 balls. So for both now, with the O's since they claimed them off waivers from the Nats this past June 7th, 20 games, including 15 starts, 73 innings, an ERA of 284. I mean, he continues to pitch well. The sample size has grown here. Again, 20 games, 15 starts, 73 innings. Uh, That's not nothing. And yet the ERA is 284. Austin Voth for the Nats in the 2022 regular season had an ERA of 1013 in 18 and two-thirds innings over 19 games. Voth for the Nats over four-plus major league regular seasons, 2018 to 2022, had an ERA of 570 over 181 and two-thirds innings. You cannot say enough about the extent to which Austin Voth has been better for the O's as compared to what he was for the Nats. And if you are the Nats, you really should be doing all that you can to understand why this is. Uh, The Orioles' bullpen on Tuesday night was good. Joey Crable, CNL Perez, and Brian Baker combined to allow just one run in four innings. Crable gave up a solo homer, but the O's scored just two runs, and the O's now are in danger of being swept at home by the lowly Tigers. I mean, I know that the O's haven't been playing great lately, but raise your hand if you expected that, the O's potentially being swept by the Tigers. Game three for the O's against the Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, Wednesday night at 7.05. Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 405, will include a lot on the Commanders as they on Wednesday are beginning their practice week for the big game this Sunday afternoon. The NFC East opener, 1-1 one one Commanders versus the 2-0 Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. We on Wednesday will get the first injury report for the game and we expect to have post-practice press conferences for Commanders head coach Ron Rivera and Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz. So we'll have a lot to discuss. Also on Thursday's show, I will talk college football as I'll have a golf Goldilocks selection for you for what's happening on Thursday night. Virginia Tech home to West Virginia Thursday night at 7.30. And on Thursday's show, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. So the Nats on Wednesday afternoon at 12.20. We'll begin game three of a three-game series at the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves as the Nats try to avoid a three-game sweep. The O's on Wednesday night at 7.05. We'll begin game three of a three-game series against the Detroit Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as the O's will be trying to avoid a three-game sweep to the lowly Tigers. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Not very good. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.